This is The Playbook. How to incentivize. Uh, we would love to be able to inspire people, motivate people, uh, but we live in a pragmatic world. And I have found over the last 35 years that we also, on top of being inspirational and motivational, uh, there's mechanisms which to incentivize people. And if we can articulate what those things are to incentivize people to enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent without quit pursuit of their potential, that we will get the aggregate effect of motivation, inspiration, and incentivis incentivization. I'm not sure that's a word, but we'll work on that. Uh, and so the first way to incentivize people is with money. The, the first way to incentivize people is with money. And if we can utilize uh, the pragmatic energy that allows us to shop and trust that we will inspire and motivate people to shop for the right things for the right reasons, that we can't give more with less. Therefore, we have to be realistic that not only should we create a system, but be able to articulate the quantitative value of that money to incentivize people to do what we would like them to do. And this is uh, a very uh, you know straightforward process in the business world with employees. And yet so many people in the business world don't even utilize the correct incentivization in order to incentivize people to do what they want them to do. And I think we are doing ourselves a disfavor if we don't realize the pragmatic effect of being able to utilize not only money to incentivize, but articulating the value of that money to exceed what we're asking people to do. And if we can keep people in a primary focus of, look, this is about creating abundance, making more money so you can help more people and have more fun in the pragmatic world. And the majority of the people in the world are not only incentivized, but motivated and inspired by having more money so they can buy the right things for the right reasons or learn the lessons of what the right things are and the right reasons are. Uh, and so specifically, I want you to think about it in the activity you get paid for, not only how are you incentivizing others around you, but how are you incentivized? I find it remarkable that I have a huge sales force and they can't even articulate the comp plan, let alone create a strategy to maximize the comp plan. You see, a comp plan is built in order to effectuate making more money for the company or for the people who own the company, the shareholder value, and yet they somehow feel uh, either lazy, ignorant, or guilty for maximizing the comp plan. And so in the same essence of activity that we get paid for to understand how to maximize a comp plan, knowing that there may be things that we know or don't know about the overall plan in a business, uh, there's also arguably the incentivized uh, people in our lives. We can use money to incentivize people. 
to do what we want them to do. And we need to be able to articulate that value in order to incentivize people. Why would we want to use money to incentivize people outside of the activity that we get paid for? Well, the time aspect or the empowerment aspect are two extremely valuable things outside of uh, the business world or the activity that we get paid for. What do I mean by that? I will pay people to do things that take a lot of time. I will incentivize them with money to do them so that it frees up that time for me either to make more money myself and be incentivized or to enjoy some other aspect of activity I don't get paid for. And I will incentivize people to do things that I don't like doing, notating that the things I don't like doing create interference between me and my higher self or my potential. In both quantitative analysis, it only makes sense to utilize money to incentivize people. And yet, like I said, so many people stray away from the reality that money incentivizes people, whether it's activity that we get paid for or not paid for, the utilization of it. Now, even a stickier situation becomes, do we use money to incentivize our children? Well, I believe yes. Uh, I, I don't think it's the only way to incentivize them, but I believe that we... Uh, inspire in certain ways, we motivate our children in certain ways. But I think conditioning our children with allowances and other activities that they get paid for to incentivize them is a very healthy practice. Because if they're going to live in the pragmatic world, if they're someday going to have activity themselves that they're going to be paid for or create activity for others to be paid for, that relationship with money and that understanding of the utilization of money in order to effectuate incentivizing themselves and others is extremely important. And it also assists in learning the relationship with the energy of money and also facilitating the practice of how to incentivize others or create comp plans that understand that a business requirement is to make a lot of money. It's not a requirement to help a lot of people or to have a lot of fun. Those are things that compassionate capitalists do in order to effectuate uh, what I believe is the fulfillment of the activity you get paid for when you can make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. But I believe that it's a healthy relationship to teach our children how money incentivizes people and how to articulate how money incentivizes people by articulating the quantitative value of things to exceed what we're asking for. And perceived value is another lesson that is self-contained within the incentivized monetary gain because the perceived value of something, only the holder can have the perception of value. And therefore, when we understand perceived value, not only can we incentivize people, 
but we can have an exponential leverage in the incentivization, understanding that what we're exchanging the values of money for may not have as much value to someone else as it does to you. And I utilize that in, you know, why do we pay people to drive us uh, places? Because we can utilize that time by having someone drive us in a more valuable way perceived by us, but not by the other person. And so I want, when we talk about incentivizing others to start off with the pragmatic approach of quantitative value, the energy of money. The second way that we incentivize people, whether it's professionally or personally, is through engagement and availability. And I don't separate these two, uh, especially you know, in the context of business, uh, People like to sway to one or the other as their expertise. And they're not. They are not mutually exclusive. Uh, the more engaged you are, the more important it is to have your availability. And the more available you are, the greater the importance is, is to engagement. And I'll use a football analogy when we're talking about that. If you have Tom Brady... Uh, who is hyper-engaged in his profession, but he's not available because he's injured, that has no value or little value to winning a game. Or if you have Ryan Leaf, who was the most overrated football player of all times, according to Sports Illustrated, he may be available to play every single down, but his engagement level, because of his personal behaviors and choices, was extremely low. Tom Brady and Ryan Leaf, in those circumstances, have the exact same value to their families or their professions. And so we want to incentivize people to have a healthy combination of engagement and availability. And we do that personally and professionally by articulating and creating systems of availability and engagement. Systems to evaluate whether our children are coming to dinner at night. Why, why would that be important? Well, one, the availability to have our families together and the engagement at dinner. If they're on their phones or on their handhelds while they're at dinner, once again, that's like Tom Brady being injured. And so we need to have that combination. By the way, uh, it is so important still today. A lot of us uh, had a reminder, a recollection uh, of that. Uh, by the way, I got to start this. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, we, we had a reminder and a recollection during COVID of how important it is to uh, have family dinners. Uh, but it was really interesting when um, my siblings and I all uh, graduated college, started being professionally successful. Uh, we put our mom uh, through graduate school at Columbia and she was in getting a PhD in education. 
Uh, and so when she came home uh, from the program uh, at Columbia, I was so interested in what her takeaways were. And the number one takeaway was so interesting. She said, you know, Dave, what do you think the common denominator of kids that get into Ivy League schools is? And I said, wealth. She said, actually, no. I said, oh, you know, must be how much they read. No, it must be private schools. You know, kids either got scholarships to go to private schools or went to, no. The number one common denominator of children who got into Ivy League schools was they had dinner with their families. The number one common denominator, over wealth, over reading, over private schools, having dinner with their family. And ever since I've learned that from my mom, I realized the power of engagement and availability because those family dinners are indicative of our families being engaged and available. And so we want to make sure that we are omnipresent and engaged. We are aware of those who are engaged and available to us. Therefore, those that are available and engaged are feeding us, not bleeding us. And those that are one or the other could be bleeding us. How many times do we see people in a professional situation that are extremely available, but they're going through the motions and pretending to be engaged? Or how many people have all the skills in the world, hyper engaged for minutes and moments, but are too busy going around the country, the world, you know, taking off, lying to, to their, their employers, whatever they may be, but they're great at uh engagement when, when they do it they, they're far superior you know they can make three phone calls and make a sale and then they're you know off the rest of the day imagine if those people were available all day and engaged in that capacity the third way to incentivize people is to be aware of the who of asking for help. We want to incentivize people by understanding and allowing them to ask for help, to make them uh, feel comfortable with what most people don't feel comfortable with. We want people who ask for help. We want our kids to ask us for help. We want our employees to ask us for help. We want our community to ask us for help. We can utilize our ability to make others feel comfortable, be approachable, that they ask us for help. We want to incentivize them with money, engagement, availability, and feeling comfortable to ask for help. Most people don't ask for help, and it costs us personally and professionally. How many times has someone had an issue and you had to say, why did you ask for help? What is it about the mindset, heart set, and hand set that people are afraid to ask for help. In order to incentivize people, we have to encourage them to ask for help. And in order to do so, we have to shift their mindset to instead of a trade negotiation, a zero sum game where they feel that there's winners and losers, we have to make them comfortable with a value add world incentivizing them to understand when they ask for help, they're adding value.
And think about it. When people ask you for help, think about how much value they're adding personally and professionally. And we want to encourage people. We want to incentivize people who ask for help. It is an indicator, a key indicator of those who live in a value add world and with radical humility. So many people live in the zero sum game. They're trading, negotiating, overselling, back end selling, lying, manipulating, and cheating. And then they go to blame, shame, and justification because they didn't ask for help. The fastest and easiest way to get to where you want to be is to find someone that's already there and ask them for directions or ask them for help. We need to incentivize people to ask for help. It's not good enough to be incentivized by money, engagement, and availability if they're not asking for help. The amount of time, emotion, value that is wasted paying the same dummy tax that your parents have paid, your aunts and uncles have paid, your boss has paid, the company has paid, the exact same because why? We don't ask for help. The fourth way to incentivize people is the truth. So many people create so much dis-ease in their life because they have a genetic and or an energetic inheritance of lying. They are liars, cheaters, manipulators, oversellers, back-end sellers, most of them with good intentions. They live with invisible assumptions and don't even realize, in most cases, the impact and the interference, the dis-ease that they call themselves and cause themselves by lying. And so we want people to feel comfortable and incentivized by telling the truth, not just to others, but most importantly to themselves. And we do this by asking hard, uncomfortable questions. When we know someone is lying to us, we don't have to make them feel bad or separate, inferior or superior, but we simply can ask questions to elevate the awareness that they are not being honest with themselves for whatever reason, consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, for good intentions or bad intentions, not to hurt someone's feelings, to avoid some sort of conflict, whatever the reasons are. When we are incentivizing people not to lie to themselves, the best mechanism to do so is to ask questions. Because we need to break the chain, the inheritance of why people lie. Because if it is genetic and energetic, if it is genetic and energetic, then there are so many invisible assumptions that people are making in order to effectuate what they think they want in a better position or to be in a better situation. And most people don't lie to hurt others. Although most lies end up hurting not only yourself, but others, because why? The truth vibrates the fastest. The truth always comes out. That's why people who lie, manipulate, steal have to have great memories because sooner or later the truth will come out. 
and your credibility is so important in order to effectuate the trajectory of what you think you want, as well as to decrease or dissolve or diminish the dis-ease in your life. And so in order to incentivize people, we have to be able to utilize questions when we realize someone is lying to themselves. We also have to avoid the need to be offended or the need to be right when other people are lying to themselves and also realize that good people lie. Good people that are desperate lie. Good people unintentionally lie. Good people intentionally lie to spare someone else pain. There's a variety of reasons that people lie to themselves. And we don't have to create separation, inferiority or superiority when we are trying to elevate the truth, to raise awareness of the truth. And the best mechanism to utilize, to incentivize people to tell the truth is to ask questions and to, in that mechanism, raise the awareness to have some people rethink uh, or at least expose the truth. And finally, before we take some questions, the fifth way to incentivize people, we can do with money, we could do with engagement and availability, we could do it by giving an opportunity to ask for help, and of course, to provide uh, that lying to, to yourself. The final one is time. Time is the dependent variable of all matters, subjective and objective matter. It is the ultimate incentivizer, that time itself. And therefore, we can incentivize people by helping them pay attention to and give intention to all the activities of the day in the 24 hours of the man-made constructive time that they're given. We can help people and incentivize them by giving them time to be more productive, to add more value in the value add world, to be more accessible, to be engaged and available, to create abundance, to ask for help. And most importantly, the incentivized time will allow people to be more gracious. Great gratitude is the ability to find the light, the love and the lessons in not only the past, the defining moments of the past, the failures, setbacks, mistakes of the past, the void shortages and obstacles of the past, even the successes of the past. It is a time dependent variable of gratitude that allows us to find light, love and lessons of not only the past, but it actually allows us to have faith because faith is gratitude of the future. And giving and incentivizing people with time to be grateful of not only the past, but the future, to give them the ability to be thankful for something that they're not aware of that doesn't even exist in their real lives today, but gives them a trajectory of what they think they want or better of gratitude to find the light, the love and the lessons in the future, as well as the past, as well as the present. And when we teach and incentivize being a student of time, 
studying the activity that we have planned, studying the activity we don't have planned, studying our sleep, studying activity we get paid for, studying activity we don't get paid for. And in its relativity of what we do, say, think, feel, and believe in incentivizing people with sales, engagement, availability, asking for help, and lying, the exponentiality, the aggregation, the compounding of the results that we want or better are accelerated in a manner that we never even could have expected, which then just enhances the productivity, the accessibility, and the gratitude in our lives. These five ways to incentivize people, whether it's in our personal life, our professional life, are critical. To be clear, balanced, and focused each day to realize that I can incentivize people to make a lot of money. I can incentivize people to help a lot of people and to be happy and have a lot of fun. If I incentivize them with money, if I incentivize them with engagement and availability and make sure that I'm cognizant of the combination of both, if I incentivize them with asking for help and feeling comfortable living in a value-add world where there's more than enough of everything for everyone, where I utilize questions to incentivize people to tell the truth and not lie to themselves for whatever reason, good or bad, for whatever justification that they may utilize in that genetic and energetic inheritance to lie. And then finally, incentivizing them with time, the dependent variable of all matter, to be more productive, to be more accessible, and to be more gracious, not just of the past and the present, but to have faith of the gratitude of the future. Utilize these five ways to incentivize people. And I promise you that you will live in a value-add world to make more money, help more people, and have more fun. To live in a world of more than enough of everything for everyone. I appreciate everyone's time. We're going to answer some questions now. Uh, please, if you want the five uh, ways to incentivize people, just email me david at dmeltzer.com. If you haven't joined our text community to get all the updates on the meetups and VIP dinners and activities and exercises, guides, or even my book, if you haven't got that yet, I always sign my book, send it, pay for shipping, pay for the book and shipping. That text message is 949-298-2905. Jakey of the Bakey, can you reset the room? Thank you for that, David. Thank you. Thank you. If anyone wants that training guide as well on how to incentivize, you can email David for that as well or reach out. Thank you, Dave. Now we got time for some questions here. If anyone has a question that they'd like to ask David here on Clubhouse, just raise your hand or back channel me. Let's continue to share the room here on Clubhouse. You can do it at the bottom. There is a square with an arrow. Push the square. Share with your friends. Share with your uh, family. Share with the whole community. Let's continue to share this Breakfast with Champions. So let's get into the Q&A portion of David's training today. We will start with uh, Limitless Sega here on Clubhouse, Dave, and then we'll uh, send it back to you for a question online. Does that sound good? That sounds more than fair. Thank you, Jake. Awesome. Sega, welcome to the room. Good morning, Jakey of the Bakey. <laughs> <laughs> 
morning, David. Two of my very favorite people. I have not been on Clubhouse for a while, but I'm always listening to and being guided by David. One of the things I do do, David, with your book that you so generously mailed to me free, completely of charge, as well as the electronic version is sometimes I just open to a certain page and believe it or not, the guidance that I get often is very aligned and answers my own specific questions. Don't ask me how <laughs> that happens, but I've done this whilst I'm on a plane or at home or even just sitting on my deck or walking. So thank you for your presence and the light that you bring in this world. You, I just love you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Do you have a question for me, Sega? I absolutely do. So one of the lessons that I've learned just interacting with you is about what you were talking about today, this issue of asking for help. My own story, I think I have developed an identity from the time that I was a child as the giver of help somehow, but not really learning how to gracefully accept help. In learning from you, I, am, I have gotten a whole lot better at that. And one of the things I'm doing this summer is helping my own nephew in his journey. What would you say is the best way to help someone as well as myself in learning to be a graceful acceptor of help instead of just giving? Yes. Help? Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, question. And most people have a problem with receiving, uh, which means they have a problem with asking for help. Uh, and the reason that they have a problem with receiving is they don't believe that there's more than enough of everything for everyone. Because if you truly lived in abundance and believed in a value-add world of more than enough of everyone, for everything for everyone, then you would continually ask for more and more help and more and more things, and you'd be receiving more and more because you know that, first of all, there's more than enough, and two, that you can't give more with less. And some of the mechanisms that we can utilize to help shift this humility. One from the humility perspective of humble people don't ask for help to humble people ask for help is go beyond the appreciation that we teach with the humility that we don't ask for help, that we appreciate everything we have and we shouldn't ask for more. Go beyond the acknowledgement of acquiring the knowledge of things that we have and realize that we will acknowledge more, more things will be given, lost, stolen, manipulated, and cheated from us with the more that we have. But most importantly, the value that we add by asking for help and asking for more in receiving. When we do so, we have to think of ourselves in the position of the giver. How do you feel when you're capable of helping your nephew? How does it make you feel when you're able to help other people? How does it make you feel when you help others and you're capable of helping others and they ask you for help or you know someone that can help? Now, not only is it very obvious to everyone that we feel great when we're able to help someone else, 
but there's actually a biochemical reward system, which I call the doggy biscuit of God. When we give, you get the doggy biscuit. When we receive, we get the doggy biscuit. And even more powerful, when people witness the giving and receiving, we receive the biochemical doggy biscuit. What is the biochemical doggy biscuit? It's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. They are released. They create happiness, a physical, actual manifestation of happiness by giving, receiving, and witnessing happiness. And you are cutting off the system of doggy biscuits if you do not ask for help and receive. And so we need to shift the paradigm from appreciation and acknowledgement to appreciation, acknowledgement, and asking for more. And when we can help to practice and inspire others to practice the value add system that we are part and parcel to, the world of more than enough, instead of living in the zero sum game, trading and negotiating, giving to receive, living in a scarce world of buying things that we don't need to impress people we don't like, or even worse, living in a world of not enough, where everyone becomes a victim and nobody gets a doggy biscuit. If we can transcend the perception to a value add perception of more than enough for everyone, more than enough of everything for everyone, then we all can live in abundance. And it stems from this misguided humility, humility that it is not humble to ask for help. It's the exact polar opposite. This is a critical lesson for everyone to practice. It will not happen overnight. You can spend days, weeks, months, and years in scarcity or practice the process so that you will only have minutes and moments each day in resistance, in disease, and you will be at ease in the flow the majority of the day. Thank you, Sega, so much. It's so nice to hear from you again, and I appreciate your gratitude, and I reciprocate with the same feeling of love, harmony, and joy that you give me every time I hear from you. So thank you. Thank you, David. Always love hearing from you. <laughs> thank you. All right, Jakey Bakey. Uh, I got tons of questions. Can I take the first one online? Sounds like a plan. Awesome, my friend. You will line up our next guest uh, as I take on this question. Um, any tips for how to ask better questions? Um, asking better questions comes from being more interested than interesting. And uh, I use an open-ended question guide in order to facilitate asking better questions because questions that are aligned with the trajectory of where I think I want to be with my values of importance are for me quantitatively how I know that it's a better question. So the tip that I have, and I'm more than happy to send this guide to everyone as well, just email me, david at dmeltzer.com, which is open-ended questions that lead us to one simple question. Do you know, or would it help you if? Which then leads to the second question, do you know anyone that can help me? So when we ask better questions, when we're more interested than interesting, we should be able to facilitate the transition to would it help you if? If you don't get to a point where you can say, would it help you if, then we need to practice asking more open-ended questions that are aligned 
with the capabilities that we have to be of service or value to them. Because if we can be of service or value to them through that connection, we can quantitatively ask the question, do you know anyone that can help me? And so I ask open-end questions. What are you doing today? What do you like about what you're doing? Have you known anything about this? What don't you like? What have you heard about this? Whatever the open-ended questions may be that will lead us to a final value of would it help you if. And then I'm able to articulate how I can be of service or value. And then I can ask to be of service or value, completing the chain of appreciation, acknowledgement, and asking for more. Practice asking open-ended questions pertaining to the trajectory of where you think you want to be, knowing your what, your who, and your how of the day to prioritize what's important to you by utilizing open-ended questions and the open-ended question template that I can send you that is so simple to practice by facilitating these questions and being more interested than interesting. Uh, just email me, everyone, david at dmeltzer.com if you'd like that open-ended question template to get to those two critical questions of abundance of more than enough. Would it help you if, and do you know anyone that can help me? Uh, great question. Jake, do you have someone else on the clubhouse that wants to speak with us? Sure do. Let's bring up Glenda. Glenda, do you want to share your question today with David here on clubhouse? Hi, David. Thank you very much. And it's always a pleasure to be listening to you. And, um, you know, as a parent, I found through the years of listening and watching my children grow, um, you know, there's always something that holds them back because, you know, it's, I find that the one greatest fear that my children have is always the fact that they're worried that they're going to disappoint me. And I don't know where that's actually coming from because, you know, I've always been very open and honest and, and allowed them to share. But uh, just recently, you know, my son said that, and again, it always hits me with surprise of why that type of a statement that comes through, um, you know, even at this point in their lives when they're now um, adults moving forward. So, you know, is there something as a parent that why a child would feel that worrisome that they would be worried that they would disappoint their own parent? Oh, all the time. And, uh, you know, depending on uh, their nature, uh, their genetic and energetic inheritance, uh, some people need to please. They want the approval and validation of others. And who better to get approval and validation and love from than our mom? And so that approval creates this relationship of worrying about disappointing and being validated. And what we want to do in order to facilitate this very common occurrence of parents and children this validation issue is to utilize the reminders and remembrances of the relationship of what we want in the in a parent to child relationship. So when we can articulate to uh, you know our children that my expectation is that you do your best, you learn lessons, and you're happy. And you will receive that validation from me if you do your best, 
you learn lessons and you're happy. And I would love to hear from you that you are happy, that you are healthy, that you do love me and appreciate me. That also will help facilitate the validation that I'm looking for in you. And the reminders between both of you uh, that you are and you do love each other, that you're proud of each other and you have each other's backs at all times. This will dissipate and dissolve the fear that our parents or our children do not validate. We care what other people think. As much as we want to uh, practice the fact that what other people think of us is none of our business, uh, the truth is everyone cares what other people think of them, even though those judgments are solely opinions based on ignorance and fear or ignorance and doubt. But as parents, if we can articulate with our children, especially the expectation of validation, that I know that I seek validation from my children and I assume that you seek validation from me and to put you at ease, just do your best, learn lessons and have fun and remind, remember and recollect with me that we love each other, we're proud of each other and we have each other's back. And therefore, instead of spending the days, the weeks and months creating resistance, void shortages and obstacles, giving meaning to the defining moments of our past that we've spent with our parents, the successes and failures and voids and shortages and obstacles, successes in those moments that we give meaning of validation to, we now can align it with the expectation. We can align it with the expectation that we're happy, healthy, we love and appreciate each other. You can align it with the expectation that we're doing our best learning lessons and having fun. We can align it with the fact that we love each other, we're proud of each other, and we always have each other's back. And in these articulations of validation, we can dissipate the fear, the fear that we're not worthy, that our own parents don't feel that we're of value. And this validation process is one in which can be effectuated of everyone around you, not just your children, but especially your children. I created a matrix of relativity concerning that chain of feeding, which is uh, aligned with or indicative of validation and worthiness. And it's uh, not perfect. It's a practice. I look for progress. But I still, I'm 55 years old and I call my mom every day and I only tell her four things. I have on my non-negotiable list that has time as a dependent variable. I call my mom every day for a minimum of one minute if I'm not in person with her. And I make sure that I articulate four things. Mom, I'm healthy. I'm happy. I love you and I appreciate you. And she feels validated. And uh, I encourage you to come up with your own scenarios and values. Those are mine. You're welcome to steal them uh, or utilize them. I'm sure I stole them from somebody else. Uh, but uh, this has been extremely helpful in my relationship, especially concerning the worthiness and validation, especially with the children that I have that are more pleasers uh, and need that validation that assists them with that confidence um, and inspiration.
Beautiful. Thank you so much. You got it. Thank you for the, such a great question that is applicable to everyone. I'm sure yeah. there's a bunch of hundreds, if not, we got thousands of people on the seminar uh, shaking their head yes, like a big jury of agreement. So uh, amazing. Jake, uh, why don't you reset the room? I know we're all coming in the last few minutes. So reset the room and tell me where to go. Resetting the room. Thank you for your question, Glenda. We have 12 minutes left here during uh, David's free Friday training that he's been doing for over 23 years here. Let's continue to share the room, everybody, here on Clubhouse and online. You can do that at the bottom here. There's a square with an arrow. Share with your friends, family, the whole community. Let's continue to share the room. We got 12 more minutes for some questions. So let's off to you to take a question online. And then when you're back, we'll take a question from Dr. Emerald here on Clubhouse. Okay. I assume you said take a question online. In the business situation, how can you tell if someone is lying? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, first of all, everyone lies. So the question should be, when can we tell <laughs> if they're lying? Because everybody lies. Uh, they lie uh, to avoid things. They omit things. Uh, they unconsciously lie. And uh, so we, we can go from the premise uh, of forgiveness that everybody lies. Know also that when you find out someone is lying, that it's indicative of you not knowing at least 10 other lies uh, when you're aware of one lie. So if you're constantly finding someone is lying, uh, realize how many lies they must be caught up into. Um, but I create systems that uh, vet the truth, number one. And two, I ask uncomfortable questions. I ask uncomfortable questions that elevate the awareness to that person that they are lying. I know that everybody lies. I don't know how much they lie and I don't know how, what impact those lies are having on them. But I have built my processes systems off of incentivizing people to be honest with themselves. And so I trust everyone by feeling comfortable. My definition of trusting others personally and professionally is I trust my relationship with everyone that I can make you feel uncomfortable and vet you to find out where you're lying to yourself so I can help you clear the dis-ease, the interference from you and the omniscient, all-powerful truth, your potential. And my own accountability lies within the responsibility, the attraction, and the participation in the perception of that truth. And so asking uncomfortable questions and creating processes to expose people where they're lying to themselves is the best way in a business situation to be aware of how many and how big and how impactful the lies are that exist within any collective consciousness or any business or any family. And then forgive. And then forgive. Gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration all are within the context of the values that are utilized if someone is lying. Uh, great question. It's uh, one that has evoked the mirror. When I say it's evoked the mirror, I always say others are mirrors of ourselves. And 
what used to create an extraordinary amount of interference with my need to be offended by lying was quite an indicator to me that I was a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, an overseller, a back-end seller, and it has helped me do the difficult work of being honest with myself the majority of the time. Do I still lie? Yes. Only for minutes and moments. I catch myself, I forgive myself, and I try to get better. And I know that I lie, therefore I should forgive others for doing the same thing that I have done every day, hopefully not as often and not as impactful as in the past. And I encourage everyone to pursue their potential, to pursue their truth. Your potential is the truth. An aggregate of the skills, knowledge, and desire in a trajectory of what you think you want to be or better, giving meaning to the lies and the truths of your past, the defining moments, setbacks, failures, mistakes, void shortages, obstacles, and truths of your path and past. Great question. Uh, Jake, we got about seven minutes. That's enough time to bring up another guest. Do you have one? Yes, let's bring up Dr. Emerald. Welcome, Dr. Emerald. If you want to unmute yourself. Hi. Um, nice to see you both. Thank I'm you. I'm coming to LA next week, so hopefully see you then. Um, but great, um, great segment. And I'm going to have a question that ties in together both the lying and also parenthood. So we do. They go hand in hand. <laughs> just to entertain and to force my kid to go to bed. Um, but um, uh, I guess a question tying the two of them together to protect our children. Um, we want to do everything that we can. And sometimes it involves lying to protect them. So how do you reconcile that? Yeah, well, you know, and, and it's the same way that we reconcile um, the idea of telling our kids what to do, right? I, I talk about just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice and, you know, all of these things. Well, there, there's a matrix of relativity of reality to what we talk about and determinative upon the age and the dependency of a child. Uh, these different philosophies uh, are not realistic or applicable. And so, uh, you know, I believe, you know, are we lying for a purpose uh, to our children? And is that okay? Uh, I challenge myself to be honest and would challenge myself to be honest. But look, there's a time restraint, there's an energy restraint, there's an emotional restraint. And, uh, you know, if we have to, uh, for the efficiency, effectiveness and statistical success of protecting our children and we value protecting our children more than the lie with good intention. And remember I said, lies have all types of different purposes. There's omission, right? We don't tell someone the truth because it may hurt their feelings. We don't tell someone the truth because it may protect them or we think so. Uh, there's a variety of things that we have to make choices every day, which is why I say everybody lies. And it's your own values that you're aligning with when you don't tell the truth. I will tell you, there, there is a difference in this idea of a, an invisible assumption that if we are cognizant and intentional about a lie, 
I believe the variable of whether that intention is good or bad makes a difference. I, I, I love to pursue the truth and I love to pursue my potential and I don't live in a vacuum. I live on earth and earth contains man-made constructs. That's why in the five incentives, they include money. They include money. Uh, and in the context of that, it's the variable of intent of, hey, number one, am I aware of the lying? And two, what is the intent of the lie? But my majority intention is to be honest with myself. And I think, you know, posing as I'm thinking through your question, you know, are we lying to ourselves if we're aware of a conscious choice that I am going to lie for the better good? Not for personal game or bad intent, but for the better good, for protection of somebody's feelings or their life. And I'm of the belief that I will lie to protect someone's life. No doubt. Not a chance. I wouldn't do that. Um, but I'm not going to lie for personal gain. Uh, will I lie to spare someone's feelings? Absolutely. Um, and I try not to. Uh, but those lie within the context of your own values. And I'm a realist, a pragmatist when it comes to all of the incentives that there are varying degrees uh, that we can utilize money, engagement, availability, asking for help, time, and lying to yourself. This is not a perfect world. The perfect world lies beyond. It lies in our thoughts, in our beliefs, in our feelings. And we are able to forgive ourselves for lying with good intent. Uh, great question. And I think it'll keep me up uh, a little bit later trying to practice articulating that nuance of lying. Uh, very, very interesting. Thank you. Hi, David. It's, um, it's Professor here out of uh, Birmingham, England. Hi. Uh, we, we, we just had a by-election because there's a gentleman called Boris Johnson. They said he lied. So because of that, he got annoyed. He said he didn't go for a COVID party. They said he lied about the COVID party. He had to resign his position, and his position was just recontested for last night. So what, what you're saying is so topical, is so, it's, it's so unbelievable that even at leadership level, at leadership level, honesty at a particular time means literally life and death for COVID and being in office and out of office for Boris Johnson and three other congressmen. Thank you very much for what you shared. Thank you. And uh, we have the same issue here in America uh, with our politicians as well, as they are held to a higher standard, a duty to have greater good intent and to be honest. And there are actual criminal processes for those people that put people at danger. Uh, and the processes here in America are the same as well. Uh, Thank you everyone so much. Just as a quick reminder, if you want the incentives, uh, the five incentivizing tools, email me, david at dmeltzer.com. We'll be in Chicago and Indy next week. We'll be in San Diego and Orange County the next week. We will be in New York and um, St. Louis the next week. 
we have meetups and VIP dinners. Just email me, david at dmeltzer.com as well. Join our text community, 949-298-2905 to just get the updates. We have so much stuff going on. We don't want you to miss out. It really, uh, it pains me when I meet up with people. They're like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, please join our community so you do know. Jake, it's exactly 7 a.m. Pacific time on the dot. Close out the room. Remember, everyone, be kind to your future self and do good deeds.